0: We're going to read in the Scriptures this evening from two New Testament passages. The first is Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read the first ten verses of the chapter, which record for us the brief visit of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, the first 10 verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people. And the rulers of the city, when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. We turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, A little further on in this missionary journey, Paul writes this letter back to the church at Thessalonica, probably just a month or two after the visit of Acts chapter 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul and Silvanus, that is Silas, and Timotheus, that's Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. of God. And then from here to the end of the chapter is the text for the sermon this evening. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that we were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, And how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We read that far in the holy and inspired word of God. I preach on these verses tonight, beloved, because evangelism, the local evangelism of the church, and witnessing, personal witnessing of the believer, is something that has been on my mind of late. That for several reasons. Recently, I've been involved in two projects, one for the seminary and one for the domestic mission committee. I gave a presentation at the seminary a couple weeks ago, reflecting on my 12 years in Spokane for the missions class, and then for the domestic mission committee, I'm working on a chapter in a book on local evangelism. It's also on my mind because God has taken me as a pastor from a setting very different to the one here, and put us here in this setting where things are different. People here have asked me, how can we do a better job of evangelism? And how can we do a better job of witnessing as churches? And that's a good question. In our 12 years of work in Spokane, this was our constant focus as a congregation, almost as a matter of survival as a church. We worked at being a light in the midst of darkness. We talked about conversations with unbelievers We made a point of inviting people to our worship, and with a number of visitors constantly, we learned to be a welcoming congregation. So tonight's sermon comes from that place in my thinking and my heart and a desire that we, from the scriptures, learn to do better in witnessing and evangelism, and tonight I don't want to bring you my ideas or my opinions, but I want to expound to you the Word of God here and do that in application. We had church visitors come this week to the council meeting. One of the questions that they ask is this. Is your congregation busy with the work of local evangelism to the best of its ability? And we can never really answer that confidently because we can always do better in this. What's application, an applicatory sermon? Well, it's really this. How does the experience of the believer in the sacrament now impact my life? How does the reality and the joy that my sins are forgiven through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ change my living and now, there are plenty of areas of application in our lives. There's the application in our relationships, as our application in the place that we have in the church as a part of the body. But there is, of course, this application too, as we sang of it, Come here, all ye that fear the Lord, while I with grateful heart record what God has done for me. And interestingly, that's not even talking about witnessing, but it's talking about, come here, all ye that fear the Lord, talking with other believers about what God has done for me. How well do we do at that? And if we don't talk with one another about what God has done for me, how can we be equipped to talk to the world around us? And so this is an area in which we need to grow. We have every year a theme for family visitation. I recently heard of a church that has this as their theme, not one of our congregations, but it's stories. Believers' stories. Because they want to promote in their congregation that believers talk with one another about what God has done for me. When was the last time you talked with somebody about that, what God has done for you? When was the last time you talked with an unbeliever about what God has done for you? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that true of you as a believer? The passage that I've picked this evening is a story, it's not so much a call, it's not so much a challenge, so much as what happened in Thessalonica, a remarkable account of a church that sounded out the word. Let's consider tonight a church reverberating with the gospel. Notice first the gospel preached, second the living echo, and then we'll make some specific applications. Something astounding happened in Thessalonica in the period of just a few months. In Acts chapter 17, we read that Paul came to Thess- Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue and for 3 sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures opening and alleging that Jesus was the Christ and that he must needs suffer and die and rise again he gave them the content of the gospel and then he connected the content of the gospel to the old testament scriptures for 3 weeks for 3 weeks and then he had to leave because of persecution and now just a couple of months later, this little church in Thessalonica to which he preached and which had formed as a result of his preaching has gained astounding renown, not only in Thessalonica and not only in their region, but beyond in all that area. Macedonia, that was their region, and beyond that to Achaia. They weren't just known as a church that existed in that place, but they were known for their faith. Paul left there. Paul left there under hard circumstances of persecution. Perhaps after he had left there, he wondered about the response in Thessalonica to the gospel that he had brought there for that short period of time. Perhaps he wondered, has the church come together again since then? There's persecution there. And he wanted to talk with people about Thessalonica. Maybe he wanted in his subsequent mission travels to tell about the work that God had done in the brief time that he was in Thessalonica. And you know what happened? Paul said to someone, or Paul said to a congregation where he was, let me tell you about Thessalonica. And he found out that the people to whom he was talking knew more than he did. So that he, it says, didn't even have to say anything. Verse 8, we need not to speak anything. And it wasn't only about the events of what took place in those three weeks in Thessalonica and the response to that time and the vibrancy of the church, but even this that the Apostle Paul would come to another place to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, perhaps something like he did in Thessalonica, to a synagogue, to open to them the Scriptures, to show that Jesus was the Christ, to show them that Jesus had to suffer and die and rise again the third day from the Scriptures. And they said, we've heard this. Paul said, where did you hear it? Well, it came from Thessalonica. We've heard it. Amazing. That's verse 8. For from you sounded out the word. That means literally that it echoed from them. It reverberated from them. They became the broadcasters of that word. They heard it and then they sent it out. And they are held up in the scriptures for us. Praised here by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul for this as an example for us to follow. Now it's important as we look at this to see where their local evangelism began, or the source of it, the foundation of it, the content of it. And that was the gospel preaching of Paul, and then of Titus and Silas, or Silas and Timothy, whom he left behind there. He says of that gospel that it came to them in words. He calls it here in verse 5 the word of the Lord. He says, Our gospel came not to you in word only, but it did come to them in word. The good news was something that the apostle Paul preached to them. That's the power, that's the essential element. Of any witnessing church. We live in a day and age when the church is disenchanted with words, the church is disenchanted with gospel preaching, looking for other ways to evangelize than to preach the Word of God. And the scriptures tell us here that when Paul preached, he preached the Word of the Lord. That's where preaching and evangelism began. Paul didn't use gimmicks or plays. He didn't bring with him a slate of the most popular preachers and speakers of this day. He didn't come to them with promises of wealth and healing and prosperity, but he came and he faithfully opened to them the word of God. That's the point in Acts chapter 17, opening and alleging from the scripture that Christ must, needs, have suffered and died and that this Jesus Whom I preach unto you is the Christ. What did he do? He opened the word of God. He expounded the word of God. He showed the gospel from the word of God. He showed the necessity of the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ from the word of God. And he called people to believe in Jesus Christ. That was the key element to evangelism in Thessalonica. Now we see here a couple of important principles for the work of the church in evangelism and missions, and that is this, that the primary work of the church and the primary work of missions is to bring the word of God, to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The primary calling of the church is not to fix social problems, to feed poor people, to provide for orphans, and so on. Those things can be, and even should be, an important part of the church's work, but this is not the primary work of the church. The primary work of the church is to preach the word of God. And that tells us in the second place whose task the work of missions is, because Christ has called preachers, missionaries, through the church. This is a work that's tied to the church. In Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch sent out the first missionaries after they had prayed and laid their hands on them. That was Paul and Barnabas. In Romans chapter 10, how shall they preach except they be sent? They were sent out by the church to do this work. And then this work is always connected to the church in this way, that as the gospel is preached, as the witness of the church goes forth, it's to bring people under the gospel and into the fold of the church of Jesus Christ. So the word, the gospel was preached... And what Paul emphasizes here is the power of that word, and that's important for us because sometimes we can be very discouraged about the preaching of the gospel, and then we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. The word of the gospel was the power here. Paul says in verse 5, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Now the power that came was the Word, but Paul distinguishes here between Word and power. Because in man's evaluation, the preaching of the gospel, the Word is not powerful. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's described there as the foolishness of God, which is folly to the world, and it's weak, and it seems ineffective, But this is how confidence, the Word, is the power. What is its power? The Apostle Paul points to three things here connected to the power of the Word. The first is the Holy Spirit. He says, our gospel came not unto you in word only. He means it wasn't just words, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And here's the point. The Holy Ghost, working with the Word, make the Word powerful, effectual. Those two belong together, the Holy Spirit and the Word. We call them together the effectual call. There is the external call of the gospel that comes to sinners, and then there is the grace-worked power of the Holy Spirit that gives them open ears to receive and to believe the Word that is preached, and then the Word becomes effective through the operation of the Holy Spirit. There are many examples of this in Scripture. Let me just turn to one and... Acts chapter 10. This is the preaching, not of Paul, but of Peter, to Cornelius and his household. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, that is, while he preached, and you can go back and see in the previous verses what he preached, the prophets who gave witness to Jesus Christ, and the call of the gospel, that whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter was preaching this, we read, The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They heard the gospel, and they believed it. And it was by the power, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon them. The Holy Spirit's sword that conquers the hearts of sin and unbelief is the Word of God. Comes with power. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man, so that where the Spirit has worked in the heart, the Word comes and it convicts and it works faith and it brings sinners to Jesus Christ. Powerful Word. Then the power of the word is pointed to here by the Apostle Paul in verse 8 when he calls it the word of the Lord. From you sounded out the word of the Lord. Lord is the name for the resurrected Jesus Christ. It points to his power and his authority. And when he calls it here the word of the Lord, he means that this is the word that comes from the Lord. He's the origin of it. And that it's the word, the content of which is the Lord. This was not Paul's word. This was not Silas's word. This was not Timothy's word. It doesn't have its origin in man. But it's from the Lord himself. So that Paul says in other places that when he preached, God was speaking through him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, God beseeches you by us. Romans chapter 10 says they hear Christ when they hear the preaching of the word of God. They hear the voice of Christ. It's the word of the Lord, it comes from him, and he is also the content of that word. That's very clear in Thessalonica, because what Paul opened from the scriptures to them was that Jesus Christ must suffer, die, rise again, and that he was the Messiah. He demonstrated that to them from the scriptures. And so the apostle preached to them the word of the Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that word is powerful and effectual. He preached the word of the Lord. That is, he preached Christ himself. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you can go back and look at Acts chapter 17, and that's exactly what Paul preached. When he preached in the synagogues, they were looking for a Messiah a Christ. And Paul said, but you're looking for the wrong one. Here's the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth who died and rose again. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And he showed them that from the Scriptures. The Word of the Lord. Then there's one more thing about the preaching here that gave it a power, and that is the Example of those who brought the word. It's not that there was a power in Paul himself or in Timothy himself. But it's this, that as they preached the gospel, it was clear that the gospel was something that had changed them. It was something that had gripped them. And that's why he says here in verse 4, in verse 5, that the, whole, that the word that he preached came to them in power, in the Holy Spirit, and then this, and in much assurance, that is, in confidence, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And he's speaking there about the way he conducted himself as a preacher of the gospel. He preached with conviction, Because it was the word of God, not his. And he preached with consistency. That is, his life, his manner of entering in among them. bore witness to the power of the word. And so he says in verse 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord. As he preached, he could say to them, as he says in Philippians chapter 2, be followers of us. As we are of Christ. And Paul will go on in, 2 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 to talk about the manner of his entering in among them. This was something that was questioned and that especially the, the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica wanted to challenge so that they could try to undermine what Paul had preached there. And Paul says, no. Chapter 2, verse 4, we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. And then he says, we did this, not pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. God knows, he's saying. We didn't seek glory of men, but we were gentle among you. As a nurse cherisheth her children, we were affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted unto you, not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. He says, you remember our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And Paul's point there is this, not to defend himself, but to demonstrate the power of the gospel, as it also had an effect in his life, in Timothy's life, and in Silas's life. These men who preached it were living examples of it, worthy of following. If a preacher wants to destroy the power and the effectiveness of the gospel, To disenchant his listeners, the easiest way to do that is to live a careless and ungodly life. And that's true of your witness in the world, too. You want to destroy the witness of what you say? What you say that you believe? Then you just live and walk As the world does. And that's the point here, isn't it? They sounded out the word. How did they sound out the word? Well, in a similar way that Paul, by his life, reflected the power of the gospel. So, preaching, preaching as a power, was central. But it wasn't the only element of local evangelism. And that's the point of these verses, especially verse 8, from you, he says, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, their region, and Achaia, surrounding region, but also in every place. They became those who heard and then broadcasted, reverberated with the word. And that reverberation of the word, we could say, began in the church itself as the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy was followed by those in the church, so that within the congregation itself there was a reverberation of the word, a reflection of the principles of the gospel, a Christ-likeness in those who received the word. And that's the point of the preaching of the gospel, isn't it? It's not just to give you information, but it's to change you and to equip you. We see that when we turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, which speaks of the preaching of the gospel as one of the gifts of the ascended Christ. We could say the central thing that Christ in heaven is interested in giving. He sends the Holy Spirit. Why does he send the Holy Spirit? On the day of Pentecost, it's so that the gospel could be preached. Peter get up, gets up and preaches. Thousands are converted. The gospel is heard in many languages as a sign that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And so, Ephesians chapter 4, he ascended. And verse 11. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those are all gifts of bringing the word. And he did this for the perfecting of the saints. That is, for the maturity of believers. For the work of the ministry. That is, for believers to serve one another. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the building up of the church. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. So the word, the word comes in the church at Thessalonica. And it's attested to in the lives of those who preach it. And the people in the congregation believe it. And they are transformed. And it becomes a community. The church does that reverberates the Word. And you can see it then in the way that they live with one another. The Word is intended for the equipping of the saints. But then as they received the Word, and you see that here, they received it with joy, and they realized that in receiving the Word, it was not intended only for them. It was such good news, which is what gospel means, that they had to share it with others. In the book of Acts, it says of the apostles, we cannot hear, we cannot we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And something like that happened in Thessalonica now as they received the word. It says in verse 6 that they received this word with joy in the Holy Ghost. They received the word with joy. And receiving the word with joy, they said, we've got something to tell. And they began to tell it. What's evangelism? Is it a committee? Is it the use of modern media? Or social media? Is it a program? Is it something that's complicated? Is it something that's expensive? Is it something that's organized? There's no time, no resources of any of that sort in Thessalonica. And yet from them sounded out the word. It was the witness of the church as the believers lived together reverberating the gospel And then the witness of the lives of the individual members as they went out into the world. So that people in Thessalonica, people in Macedonia, people in Achaia, and people in other parts would say to one another Have you heard about this new religion that's spreading? And the people who are following it, Christians. And someone would say, Well, what's a Christian? And then another person would say, Well, those Thessalonians, look at them. That's what it is to be a Christian, that's what it is to believe the gospel. And I want us to look at the text and notice some of the characteristics of the Thessalonians as they sounded out the gospel. They didn't have radio. They didn't have internet. It wasn't a literal sound even that was going out. But they became echoers of the gospel, broadcasters of the gospel in their lives, in their relationships, and so on. How did they witness? Well, first of all, you see here in these verses that they were known for their faith towards God. That's in verse 8. That in every place your faith to God would is spread abroad. They were known for their faith in God. And Paul adds to that so that we need not to speak anything. In other words, when they went, they spoke of their faith. These were people who were known to trust in God when they were afflicted, when they were persecuted. These were people who were known not to trust in their own works for their righteousness, but they trusted in God. They trusted in Jesus Christ. Their faith was known. They believed the word of God, as Paul had preached that unto them and shown them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Their faith was known. The faith towards God was known. It couldn't be said of them anymore just simply, "Well, they're Christians," as some kind of group or label. But they were known as believers. Is that your witness in the world? Or do people say, "Oh, yeah, he's a Christian"? Or do they know what you believe? Is your trust evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it clear when you go through troubles and trials that you're depending, resting in God? Do they know that you rest in Christ? He's the object of our faith, isn't it? For the forgiveness of your sins. Come here, while I with grateful heart record what God has done for me. I cried to him in deep distress, and now his wondrous grace I bless, for he has set me free. Is your faith known? Second, they were known, in verse 9, for their repentance and their obedience, or we could say their conversion. Beforehand they were known a certain way, but now there was something different about them. That's verse 9. They themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Who were these people? Acts 17 says, Jews and Greeks, nobles... And among them, many noble women. People who had served idols. And they turned from idols to serve the living God. There was a noticeable change. And whereas they followed the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy... They also became an example of Christianity in their conversion. They were changed. Their children asked, Why don't we worship those images anymore? Where did you put them? Why aren't you making those food offerings to our ancestors anymore? And they were known. They were known to have turned to God. Are you known as someone who says no? to the idols of the world and the culture in which we live. That was their witness. Third, they were known, verse 10, as those who waited for Christ. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They were waiting for Jesus Christ. Now. This is a a curious thing for the Apostle Paul to praise the church at Thessalonica for, because this was really the main problem in the church at Thessalonica. They were waiting for Jesus Christ. And you know what that meant in the church at Thessalonica? Many of them thought, Jesus Christ is coming very soon. So why bother working? Why bother making an income? Why bother accumulating possessions of this world? And you know what happened? They became lazy, and they became busybodies in the church. And Paul really addresses that problem in this epistle and in the one following. Even this, that if they didn't work, they shouldn't eat. And he sets before them in beautiful ways in these two epistles, First and Second Thessalonians, the truth of the coming of Jesus Christ. And the signs of his coming. And now he says to them here, they wait for his son from heaven. Well, it was known about the church at Thessalonica, even though they were, I'll say, overzealous in this. Even though they were misdirected in the way that they waited. It was known about them, they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come again. And that was their witness. They were known for that. Are you known as a Christian, as one who's waiting for Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Well, it's the life of a pilgrim and a stranger, isn't it? This is not my home. Heaven is. I don't live for the here and the now. My goals and my aspirations are not limited to the earthy. I live and I work with my heart and my treasure set in heaven. I seek the things above where Christ is. The matters of major concern to me are not material, but spiritual. And of course, if that's your perspective, if you're waiting for Jesus Christ, you also won't be fearful when things go on in this world. Christ is on the throne, he's coming again, not panicking, but patient. Are you known as one who's waiting for Jesus Christ? Further things that were evident in their lives, in which they sounded out the gospel, verse 3, they lived spirit-filled lives. Verse 3 mentions three outstanding characteristics of the Christian by which he gives a testimony to the world, and Paul has heard of, and for which he's thankful for in his prayer. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. And there's a sense in which the entire witness of the believer is summarized in those words, faith. Hope, love. Jesus says of love, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Faith, we've already said some things about that. Hope, well that's really what we've just described in waiting for Jesus. And these are fruits, aren't they, of the work of the Spirit. Does your life show the fruits of the Spirit? That is, is your life shaped in such a way that it reflects the spirit life, spirit-filled life of Jesus Christ himself? Love is patient, kind, long-suffering, and so on. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness, gentleness, patience, and self-control, and so on. And it was evident, not only that they had turned from idols, but that they were shaped in the image of the Son of God. Does your spirit-filled life show itself in this world? Something else that was clear in their testimony is this, that there was a sincerity and a consistency between what they said, between what they believed, and their conduct, how they lived. That's clear in the way that the apostle speaks of them following his example. They lived what they witnessed. The the doctrine of sin led to humility in their life. They showed in their behavior to others these, these things that they confessed about being delivered from sin and about their hope and their love and their faith, has the gospel so changed you that not only do people have to hear from you what you believe, but your life confronts them with the transforming power of the Spirit of God, that there's a story of God's grace shining through you. Another remarkable feature of them is given by Paul in verse 6, and it's this that they receive the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And I'm interested in the words there, especially in much affliction, they receive the word with joy. What was the affliction? Well, the affliction is what we read in Acts 17, that they were persecuted. And when they were persecuted, they received it with joy. And they continued in their joy in the word, even under persecution. They had joy in their salvation, even when they were ridiculed for it, persecuted for it, afflicted for it. This was Paul's concern when he left them behind, how they are going to endure the persecution. And they continued in their joy in the gospel. What kind of joy ebbs from your life to the world around you? If your unbelieving boss had to answer the question, what is it that will make him happy or makes him happy? Would it be the things of God. Joy. We could certainly add one more thing, and it was this, that they spoke. Now, that's not even said here. But from them sounded out the word. When Paul came to speak, he says, I didn't even have to speak because they'd already heard the gospel. They'd already heard about Thessalonica. They already knew what a Christian was from the saints in Thessalonica. And it was through their speaking. It had to be through their speaking. Thessalonica was an important trade city, and they looked for opportunities to speak the gospel, to speak of their joy, To speak of the change in their lives, to speak of their faith, to call others to turn from darkness. In just a few months, there was a remarkable effect. Why don't we speak? Are we ashamed? Or are we ready to suffer for the name of Christ? So Paul preached, but now added to the preaching of Paul was this witnessing, sounding out, reverberating response to the gospel that he preached. Don't we all know of churches where there's preaching and the people sit on their hands, say nothing about their faith, compartmentalize what happens on Sunday from the rest of their life, and those churches not only are ineffective in their witness... But they become dead in their orthodoxy. And dead spiritually. They close their doors. Are we a church? Are we churches? Are we people? Who sound out the word? So that the word reverberates in the congregation and then reverberates to all around. So that we're known for this. Three specific applications. First, for the church. The church that receives the gospel is a church that will pass on the gospel. There's a sequence here in the text. Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica. The church in Thessalonica received the gospel. And then the church in Thessalonica sounded out the gospel. That's the idea here of the word echo. There was a sound made, and then there was an echo from it. It sounded out. And that's God's plan with the word that's preached in the church. It's not just for you, but it's so that it may be sounded forth from you. For the individual, does your life demonstrate your faith? Does it line up with the Word of God? Or is perhaps this is the, or is perhaps this the weak link in your ability to witness to others? You really aren't that different. You really don't live with hope and love and faith in the world. Your life shows something inconsistent with the gospel. And for the individual, it really comes down to this, doesn't it? How do you receive the word? How do you receive the word? Two things that Paul says here about the word, power and joy. Do you receive the word with power in the Holy Spirit? Do you receive the word with joy in your salvation? Or does it mean nothing to you? You leave, and it's forgotten, as James describes it. A man looks into the word, he hears it, and then he leaves, and he forgets who he is. Not just hearers, but doers. This church received the word with power. This church received the word with joy. And what a difference it made. Not only in their church, but in their witness. What does your life preach? What does your life preach? And then finally, we leave the sacrament tonight we leave it in the joy that we heard in the gospel this morning, the joy of forgiveness. It's not only the joy of receiving the word, but it's something like that Sultan number. Come here while I with grateful heart record what God has done for me. My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord of my soul. Can you convey that joy to an unbelieving world, to an unbeliever tomorrow? Probably they'll ask this question, how was your weekend? Good. What was the highlight? We celebrated the Lord's Supper. What's that? And now, bread, wine, body, blood, sacrifice, satisfaction, forgiveness. And the whole joy of the gospel is there as an opportunity for you to share. So come, here, all ye that fear the Lord, while I with grateful heart record what God has done for me. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the work of grace and salvation, the power of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, and we pray, Lord, that this will be evident from us, from us as a church, from us as believers, from us as individuals, together, and also to the world around us, that the gospel may reverberate in our homes, in our lives, in our relationships, and indeed, to all. And be pleased, Lord, to use us then, by our witness, to bring others to Christ Jesus. For this is the way that thou dost work. May we be used in this way, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.